Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Hola, listeners, and welcome to Episode 24 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. On the afternoon of December 22nd, I received an email from our podcast music composer, Mr. Pops Walker. Pops wrote, It's with a heavy heart that I write to you today, for we have lost a great friend and performer, Keith Pitzer. Keith passed on this morning after a courageous fight with cancer. His wife Joan and his four grown sons mourn the loss of their loved one, as do I, Bobby, and anyone who knew Keith. This is how I first learned of the passing of musician Keith Pitzer. He was not only a friend of this podcast who spoke to us last June, but he was also a friend of our organization as well. I'd known since June of 2009 that Keith was fighting prostate cancer, as he and his wife Joan had had to cancel their performance at our summer conference because of it. However, those of us who did know about his fight hoped and prayed he would triumph over it. More than anyone else, Pops Walker was responsible for bringing Keith and Joan into an association with West Virginia Writers. Their concert together at our 2008 summer conference was simply astounding. And in his letter about Keith's passing, Pops went on to write eloquently about Keith's life and what he meant to so many people. You can read that email at the December 22nd entry of the West Virginia Writers blog. But for today's show, I thought it would be nice to talk to Pops himself and tribute to Keith and learn his perspective on Keith the man and hear about the work and music that Keith was so passionate about in life. Pops, I've told the story about how I came to know of Keith and Joan Pitzer a couple of times before in podcasts, so I'm not going to go into the full detailed version here, but for for context's sake, the short version of this is that I first heard of Keith and Joan in an interview-slash-concert on the radio in 2006 and thought they sounded like they'd be a good fit for the 2007 conference. However, before I could contact them, we wound up hiring some guy named Pops Walker to play instead. Yeah, bless y'all's heart. Y'all need to raise your standards there. <laughs> well, that was just, all that was was a matter of timing. I mean, with, with Rhonda and Lee, and, you know, and I, that was just a, I think that was a meant-to-be type of thing right there. It was. It certainly was. And, uh... So much so that when we were planning the 2008 conference, we asked if you could would be interested in returning for that, and you suggested a double act with Keith and Joan Pitzer, and you had no idea I'd ever even heard of them or had wanted them to come. No, I just thought, I think I told, I think I just told you, look, I got somebody else that's West Virginia people y'all might really like. <laughs> he said, "Who is that?" I remember that. I remember that. And I remember doing that with him that year too. That was fun. And we've talked before about what great regard you had for them, and Keith has spoken on his podcast appearance about uh, his great regard for you. How did you first meet Keith and Joan Pitzer? 2003, um, New Song Mountain Stage Festival. As you might recall, I was, you know, I did 20 years in, in the Army, you know, the last 17 of them as, as a paralegal, and a bunch, bunch of those years were at D.C., and I was just about to retire, but not quite retired yet. I had about another month to go. And um, there were some 
it was just it was meant to be again. Long story short, the day I was supposed to sign out and everything, it was a hurricane that year. And everything just got blown up. I don't know if it was Isabel or something like that. Anyway, so another week or so uh, went by before I could finally out-process and you know, sign myself into the civilian world. And the very day that I was signing out as a soldier, I had the, the car filled up with guitars and, and gear. And after I signed out at Fort Myer, I drove up to, uh, to Charles, Charlestown. And went from, after a two-hour drive, after signing out as a soldier, to being a, a musician. And that evening, one of the many new people that I had met, singer-songwriters, was Keith and Joan. They had this thing there called, uh, I think it's the Bluebird Cafe or something like that. It's a, after all the other shows are over and there's this, for all the people who want to do come open mics and things like that, they go to this little cafe. Well... Uh, for some reason, Keith and I were there very early. I think it might have been raining or something, and we just wanted to you know, go inside a dry place. Well, I meet him. He meets me. I think Todd Burge was there with us. And we just got to chatting a little bit. And he just was so likable. And next thing you know, the, the instruments came out. And at first, it was just Bobby and I. I think Keith was there and Joan was there, although I don't think she had her instrument. Todd Burge was there. He had his instrument. And it was just like, you know, four or five of us. And before we knew it, we were getting so far into it, getting having so much fun playing music. Um, you've seen me when I, when I play. Oh, yeah. Most of the time my eyes are closed, right? You know, it's like I'm not there. <laughs> well, I opened my eyes at one point, and hell, there's 50 people sitting around us. <laughs> <laughs> If you play it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And that's how Keith and I met, and we just uh, had a had a great time that night. And knew we uh, we knew we we found some kindred spirits, both you know musically and just spiritually. When I talked to Keith at the conference in 2008, he had mentioned to me that that kind of on paper, his and Jones' style, that Celtic Appalachian based style, and your Southern Fried Zen Mojo Blues based style. On paper, that shouldn't work, but somehow you guys can find a common ground and make it mesh. Oh, my good, yes. My goodness. I'll, I'll be quite frank with you. <clears throat> I could play a bit to his music, but not anywhere near as well as he could play to mine. Because I'm kind of <clears throat> I'm kind of not really one-dimensional, but I've only got two or three dimensions, and he had, like, an unlimited you know, assortment of dimensions as, as far as music goes. And, yeah, he could get after it. And uh, I have a song called uh, Best I Can. Mm -hmm. Some of the most fun I've ever had playing music with he and Jones. She was playing bass on that. And Keith would play mandolin on it. And I'm I'm doing slide guitar. You know, as, and, yeah, you're right. The Southern Pride Zen Mojo thing, the Celtic thing. You wouldn't think it. You know, who'd have thunk it? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it worked. It worked. Well, as a witness to the show you guys did at the 2008 conference, I can attest that it did indeed work. Uh, beyond the M Mountain Stage New Song Fest, did you guys ever play any other concerts or festivals officially together? Oh, my goodness, yes. You've, you've heard me talk about our, you know, the, the little invitation-only thing you know, that I do, the Shenandoah River Song Fest, where mm -hmm. it's totally invitation-only. Invitation 
to uh, friends and loved ones. The crowd's about you know about 150 people. I invite singer-songwriters. Well, 2004 was the first year we did that, and of course, one of the first you know people I asked to come out and do the inaugural one was Keith and John. So, uh, of course, yeah, we I they, I think they did a couple of shows of mine down at the river. They I booked them for an acoustic series that we had going on at Performing Arts of Luray. Um, at our performing arts center there, and they had me come over and play at the little, this wonderful, wonderful acoustic series that they had going on um, called the Laurel Mountain Coffee House in Kingswood, Virginia. Kingwood, Virginia. Yeah. And they had some some really fine music going on out of there. People, I mean, great singer-songwriters. I mean, bless us, artists in the middle of nowhere in a nice little restaurant. I mean, fine, fine ambiance. Wasn't the greatest, you know, acoustic room in the world. It had a good PA system in there, and I played there twice for them. So, yeah, we swapped some stages. And let me see, the first year I went over to see you guys. I'm going to play for you guys. Stayed at their house on the way. And second year, same thing. But, yeah, we saw a lot of each other. We saw, we played quite a few stages together. And more, more than that, <clears throat> we loved it when, the, when we got back home. <laughs> <laughs> and we could get silly, and we did. <laughs> In your letter regarding Keith's passing, uh, you had painted a really lovely picture of, of Keith and Joan as being consummate hosts when you and your wife Bobby were in the area, and uh, you, you paint it really brilliantly, but, but tell us about those evenings there, if you don't mind. You, you basically had said that once the dishes were put away, the instruments came out. Yep, yep. You know, neither Keith nor Joan nor I like to you know, play with a big buzz going on. But once you get away from the stage and there's no longer money involved, you break out that red wine. <laughs> 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 Not the little bottles, the big bottles. <laughs> and notice the plural there. <laughs> <laughs> and you just start having fun. Hey, Pops, how about this time? Oh, I, can, I can count several times. He would show me a song and, and I'd go, Keith, your style is just beyond my ken. I can't do it. And he'd say, "Oh no, no, come on, let me show, you, let me show you, you know, a little thing here." And he'd show me this little thing it was something that he knew I could do. And he taught me how to play to him, uh, which was a wondrous thing for an old old fart like me. And but I never had to show him how to do anything. I just he was such an accomplished guy. But yeah, it was always a warm thing. There's always something on the stove, something homemade. Usually something with lots of garlic in it. Some kind of <laughs> stew. <laughs> Some kind of stew, yes. And just a complete uh, feeling of home away from home. I think I, I think I described it as a, that hospitality is warmer than a fresh buttered biscuit right out of the oven. And that's that's a pretty good metaphor for what it felt like around that house. I believe that's exactly what you said. We recently replayed the interview I did with Keith last June, and at the time we recorded that, he and Joan were preparing to come to the 2009 conference to be headliners, and that unfortunately didn't happen. They had to cancel due to Keith's illness. But a, f a friend of theirs, Ron Soul, who's the music director of Live at the Mountain Stage, stepped in and did an amazing show and spoke very highly of them. And I found in researching uh, today's podcast that his his regard among the regard for him among their peers and for both of them seems to be the common factor for Keith and Joan. Oh yeah. Oh 
couldn't help but like him. Um, <clears throat> there was an old saying somebody mentioned it once about me before I <clears throat> became an old curmudgeon. <laughs> they said, if you can't get along with Pops, you're pretty much an asshole. Well, if you couldn't get along with Keith and Joan, you were definitely an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I nearly choked on my tea. Well, I know you can edit this if you need to, sir. (laughs) I was trying to take a quiet sip away from the mic and nearly spit. Well, there's a lot of high regard for them. Um, All the the Songfest family, there's there's a group of people that that were among the the Shenandoah River Songfest family. Uh, Travis Steele Nevels, you haven't met him yet. Chuck Costa, boy from Connecticut. Me, one of the finest songwriters in America, if not the finest. Kip and Martin, a young West Virginia phenomenon that I, I want to bring, <clears throat> you know, sometime in the next couple of years, I want to bring up there to y'all's conference with me, and show her, you know, show her off. All these people know them and love them, and were, um, you know, part of the family, and you know, they <clears throat> they were all in mourning, and probably still are, as I am. But you got to laugh at it sometimes when. When there's humor involved, and trust me, there was humor involved with us when we got together. <laughs> Bless his heart, he was known to be an absent-minded. <laughs> Whenever I ask him about, hey, man, can, can you, is this date available? Standard response, I don't know. Let me go ask the brains. <laughs> they have to go talk to <laughs> He couldn't keep records worth of squat. <laughs> but he'll always have to go ask, hey, Joni, are we booked that week? <laughs> no, Pops, it's, it's good. We can do it. <laughs> What I didn't realize was that uh, Keith and Joan had been playing together for 20 years before they'd even recorded their first CD, um, which was called The Long Journey. And uh, just the amount of time that they'd had together certainly shows in the work they have recorded. Uh, As a fellow who's been to the studio for albums several times yourself, I imagine you can speak to how well their music translates from live act to CD and back again. Oh, yeah, you betcha, you betcha. I mean, that was another thing that he and I had in common. I've been playing for years and years and years before I ever <clears throat> came out of the closet. And so would they. You know, they were... <clears throat> one of the things that <laughs> we really shared, uh, I mean, we're really kindred spirits about was, it's just music. Yes, it's art, but it's not who we are. It's part of us, and... Consequently, we could only take it so seriously, and we didn't take it seriously. And we just tried to have fun with it. Neither one of us tried to make it a, you know, a full-time thing. I mean, they could have, or I could have, but working full-time as a musician would have taken the joy out of it. And Keith was one of those people that I shared the joy with. Some poor schmuck out there on the road that's, you know, playing four and five nights a week, gets to spend, you know, one week in a, a month. At his, at his home, you know, I I cannot relate to any kind of joy that might be in that scenario, and neither could Keith. He, he was a, well, his term of art, not mine, a home ranger. <laughs> their, their music seemed to be threaded with themes of family and place and the love of both. You betcha. Have you heard? I'm, I'm sure you have, but I, I wonder if you remember that song, Home Ranger. Yes, I do. And in fact, that sounds like a cue if ever I heard one. Part of what I wanted to do with the podcast today was to play some of the outtakes from my previous interview with Keith Pitzer, and I have just such an outtake where he talks about the song Home Ranger and sets up the origins behind it. And so let's play that right now and go right into the song itself and come back on the other side. 
Here's Keith Pitzer and myself from June of 2009. I thought we might play another of your your songs here. And this one you also did at the conference last year uh, called Home Ranger, which I understand is about your children, one of whom is actually an adult now and is one of your, your players on the album. It yeah. plays uh, Read Love Mandolin on your album. Right, right. He, uh, he plays mandolin and guitar, writes a bit. Um, yeah, he's he's the only one of four boys that actually perform with us uh, any of the time. He doesn't perform with us full-time. Uh, he won't be with us at the conference, unfortunately. Uh, but it is fun to, to get out and do gigs with him and to add that uh, either that third voice or that extra instrument. And, uh, yeah, this was written when when even he would have been a, a wee toddler out in the yard, um, probably the oldest three boys. Um, and again, I remembered I was, these boys were growing up on a farm in southwestern Ohio. So some of it's pretty literal, uh, in that I was, I was over here an employee. I was out there working on a piece of machinery, getting ready to do some work. And, uh, you know, they were playing a cowboy and Indian type game. And, uh, they literally had the phrase home ranger instead of lone ranger, you know. And I thought, well, that's kind of cute. And, you know, the more I thought about it, it was just, uh, just too uh, too compelling an idea not to work with. So I remember going inside and getting the gist of it, uh, the gist of it down, you know, in a, in a few minutes' time because I didn't want to forget it. And it's it's kind of kind of laid on the on the shelf, you know, sort of a novelty piece. The verses are more spoken than sung, and uh, sort of a novelty piece, you know, and about young kids. But uh, oddly enough, or curiously enough, over the years. The kids would hear it from time to time, and then they start requesting it. Hey, play that song about Home Ranger. And, uh, you know, it was kind of neat to see as they, as they got to be 20 or so that they actually appreciated the song, uh, you know, in a different way, and, of course, more like the way I, I wrote it. You know, so, so it's kind of neat. It felt like it came full circle. So it wasn't until, you know, the last very few years that we actually put it in the repertoire and started performing it. And uh, then, of course, decided to put it on Gathering Stones, which is largely, you know, newer material, but, but it does have that song on it. I was listening to my kids today as they played out in the yard. For what I overheard, I learned they'd organized a guard. While I worked to earn our living, they were protecting me each day. Bad guys or Indians, or wolves, a chance to outweigh. Home Ranger, Home Ranger, there is danger to us all. And we would ride and drive it out beyond the fortress wall. Now that I am older and the wolves are at my door, I wish we were Home Ranger. Sometimes they come and check on me and tell me their last battle Or how they'd really save the day by rounding up all the lost cattle then the call home ranger, they were off on it again. The charge out against evil to be good and always win. Home ranger, home ranger, there is danger to us all. 
gathered out beyond the fortress wall. Now that I'm older and the woods are at my door, I wish we were home, Rangers. Rangers to the I wish it was that easy I wish it could be me I wonder what they're thinking Or if they'll stay that free There's bad guys all around us There must be nine or ten You get those over there And I'll take the rest of them Home Ranger, Home Ranger There is danger we would ride and drive it out beyond the fortress wall. Now that I'm older and the wolves are at my door, I wish we were home rangers. Rangers thing that strikes me about them is that uh, they're every bit as good as a live act with just the two of them playing one instrument at a time as they would be, as they are with another passel of musicians like they had on the album Gathering Stones. Yes, you betcha, you betcha. It was so funny, my lady Bobby and I were uh, taking a ride the other day and this, this instrumental came on and uh, it was Saturday and I was listening to Harrisonburg Public Radio Station with Tina, Tina Owens, the uh, Acoustic Cafe, and here comes this, this song. It's an instrumental, and there's several instruments on it. There's a lot of mandolin on it, and I can hear a little bass in there. And I said, "Bobby, I know that song. I think it's Keith." And sure enough, at the end of the song, Tina comes on the radio and says, "And there you go, Keith and Joan Pitzer." And it just it knocked me out because it was amazing listening to everything that was going on there. And of course, their son, uh, I think Jake was was on that recording. One of the boys was. Following his, or following in his father's footsteps, and you listen to that kind of stuff and see how intricate that stuff on the, you know, uh, the music on the CDs were, and then you go see him and you think, well, there's no way that, you know, just the man and the woman can pull off a show with that kind of energy. Who can them all prayer? They did it and they did it gracefully. We've played examples from Gathering Stones here before, and they, they've also uh, had a couple of side projects, I guess you'd call them, a quartet with musicians Mike Broderick and Alice Fleischman called Wolf Creek Session. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they also recently began performing as a band with their son Jake, calling calling it String Fever. Now, I didn't even know they had given it a name. Didn't even know they had given it a name. But that, was, that would have been an apt name. I think it's also nice. I mean, you can naturally see a lot of the person he was in the music that they put up, put together. Um, but also, unsurprisingly, it often gives you a glimpse into another major aspect of Keith's life, which was with what I call his day job, for lack of a better term. 
Uh, we had mentioned before they were regulars at folk festivals around the country, but he even helped establish the Cheat River Festival, which is held each May in Albright. And while it's not strictly a music festival, music's a big part of it, and it's actually a, a one of the primary fundraising events for the organization he was a member of called uh, Friends of the Cheat, which he actually served as the executive director of for eight years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, do- he loved that river. He loved that river. And it's a burr under my saddle is something I, I can't fix. It's too late to fix now. But as it worked out, the festival that Bobby and I do, the Shenandoah River Song Fest, we always do that on the first Saturday in May. We didn't know when we decided on that date that that was the same date as the Cheat River Fest. So after the you know after two or three years of doing it, when we finally you know ended up what, what are we into our eighth or ninth year now? I forget. But about four four years ago, we decided to start having him on the first of May, and I did not realize that that was the same damn date that the Cheat River <clears throat> Fest was. So I never got to play their festival, and I know they wanted me to. He, he kept telling me, "Pops, you got you got to change the date of your festival, Keith. You got to change the date of yours." <laughs> 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 One of us did. But it was okay. I, I got to play up in his area at their at their uh, coffee house series, and he, he got to play two or three times in, in my little area of operation, so it was, it was pretty cool. Well, on this topic, let's go ahead and play another of the outtakes I have from Keith's previous interview, in which he speaks about the organization and his role with Friends of the Cheat. You have an interesting day job. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky uh, to have the day job I have. I'm, I'm director of a non-profit group called Friends of the Cheat. We're a, uh, we're a watershed group, 501c3, uh, on the Cheat River. That's in north-central West Virginia. Uh, um, and the Cheat River has, a, has an interesting sort of history or heritage as well. Um, it was once very heavily mined for coal. Uh, very little coal mining going on actively today, but the heritage of the area is, is coal. And as such, uh, it has a lot of water impairment. We have many streams that 75 years ago would have had brook trout living in them, and today they run orange. So this is a this is a legacy type problem. Um, Friends of the Cheat is an organization that uh, gets government grants from state and federal agencies to do construction projects that treat this water. So uh, very slowly, we are working on water quality in the Cheat River watershed as are other state and federal agencies, uh, certainly not doing it alone. Um, but it's a great job. We work, on, we work on water quality. We do a lot, of, fair amount of time outside in the field taking water samples. Uh, we do get these grants. We do do construction projects. And we promote uh, all the great qualities of the, of the Cheat River watershed. Uh, we're getting involved in rails to trails in the area as well and uh, recreational access to make sure that Paddlers, fishermen, and such can get on and off of, of a river as nice as the Cheat River. And that was, again, Keith Pitzer from June of 2009. Yep, that would be him, all right. <clears throat> the first time he uh, drove me by it, I had, you know, I had seen part of it coming up to his house. But we took a drive the afternoon before the, the first show that I did for them up in King, Kingwood. And he showed me, because he lived, you know, he lived on top of a mountain, but when you got down, top, when you got down to the bottom of the mountain, he was right across away from the cheat, and he showed it to me. And, you know, gosh, I hadn't even thought about this until just just this second. Um, his lug was the, the the cheat river, mine's the Shenandoah River, South Fork. But when he was talking about the river, 
you could tell it meant something to him. It meant a great deal to him. Well, it's uh, from everything I've read, he did a great deal of uh, really good work with his organization. And um, I've read quotes from his coworkers speaking of just how good he was at the job. And it's the sort of job where extreme patience is required because in- environmental change doesn't usually happen overnight, and usually it's bad when it does happen overnight. Yep. <clears throat> and you're dealing with grants. <laughs> and that's a whole other world. Um, you know, dealing in the, in the world of federal grants is a very, very strange atmosphere to swim in. Uh, my lady does that, you know, for, for the schools, but she and Keith would have, you know, commiseration sessions about working with grants, <laughs> what it takes and the patience it takes and the, the language that you have to speak in order to, you know, swim in those waters. The attention to detail as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. The redundancy sometimes is it's very, very strange, but he had the patience for it. He was a patient man. We have a link on our website to an article by the West Virginia Highlands Conservancy from their blog called Highlands Voice, and it, it lists some of the things that the Friends of Cheat was able to accomplish during Keith's time at the helm, and it's it's really amazing. I mean, establishing three public river accesses, completing uh, a driving trail through there, the eradication of an invasive species, and, of course, the organization's primary focus uh, which, as Keith said in his clip there, was to clean up the acid mine drainage that had rendered the river uninhabitable for decades. Right, right. <clears throat> he showed me a couple of streams that were running rust-colored. <laughs> he was telling me those, those were his next projects. <laughs> you, know, you have this lovely water in the cheat, and then you come up to this little creek that's running into it, and it's, it's coming out color of rust. That ain't right. He knew it, and he, he, was, he was sick of them. Well, the the Highlands Voice goes on to say that uh, today the Cheat River, once considered dead below Albright, is making a comeback, and the water is visibly cleaner, and fish, eagles, herons, and otters have been sighted. It does note that much work remains to further improve the water quality in that area, but he continued in that position with Friends of Cheat through mid-November of 2009, and the organization will certainly continue on the path he helped guide it to. Uh, they've recently named their co-founder and past president and executive director, Dave Bassarge, as uh, the interim director of the organization. Well, I wish him well because he's got some pretty big shoes to fill there. Yes, he does. Everybody I, I saw quotes from as far as his co-workers, there, there was a particularly good article written by Michelle Wolford in the Dominion Post in Morgantown that we also have a link to, and they have quotes from, from people such as Amanda Lachowski, who is an education program coordinator for Friends of Decker's Creek, that says, Keith was absolutely one of the best, most complete men I've ever known. His ethics, empathy, and drive to make our world a happier, healthier place for everyone is astonishing and inspiring. I'd say that's pretty much on the money right there. Let me change gears here for a second. Sure. And then I'll segue back into what you were just talking about. (laughs) Keith, um... He knew I wrote reviews. You know, I write reviews for people from time to time. And uh, I wrote one on gathering stones. And I, you know, was laudatory in my comments about the whole thing because it's a, it's a great piece of work, uh, the entire CD. It's a wonderful CD. But also in it, <clears throat> I included in there just a, you know, a short bar, but I didn't really work it to death, but I, I mentioned his guitar playing, and I... I thought that he was one of the most underrated guitar players in America, one of the finest all-around players I have heard. You know, everybody's got their style. Like, I mean, you know, 
I'll admit, I'm, I'm really good at what I do, and what I do is limited. What Keith could do in several genres was damn near unlimited. <laughs> and, I, so, and I wrote words to that effect. That little bugger would not keep that part of the review in the review that he used from me. He was so <laughs> humble. <laughs> he, would, he wouldn't go there. Um, but And to push it right back into where you were going with this a minute ago, if there's one thing I could say about Keith, um, it's the best thing I could say about any man. He was a man of honor. A man of honor. Can't say that about each and every person I meet. I could say it unreservedly about him. Well, Pops, thank you so much for speaking to us today and sharing your thoughts about Keith. God bless you, Eric. Peace to you and yours. Bye-bye. Instead of a public memorial service, Joan and her family have something else planned. As Pop said in his letter, Keith wouldn't want a mournful event, rather a celebration. He went on to say that the family would wait until spring and hold the celebration then. I'm happy to say that the date for this celebration has been chosen to take place on Saturday, March the 20th, from 12.30 to 2 p.m. at the Cheat Festival site in Albright, West Virginia. A Facebook group dedicated to the event has just been created, and you can find the link to that on our own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. In lieu of flowers, the Keith Pitzer family has asked that donations be made in his memory to Friends of the Cheat, which you can find at their website, cheat.org. If you do choose to make a donation, be sure to note in the foreline of your check or in the notes section of your online payment that this is in memory of Keith Pitzer. They'll appreciate that. Condolence notes can also be sent to Keith's email address with the organization and will be passed along to his family, and that address is kpitzer at cheat.org. Since my conversation with Pops recorded last week, there have been some other developments that are pertinent to mention here. To help explain the details of it, I've put in a call to West Virginia Writers President Terry McNemer. Terry, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. As many of our listeners may or may not know, after Keith and Joan Pitzer had to sit out as entertainment for last year's summer conference, you gave them a standing rain check to come back for the 2010 conference, and they were pretty much the first official scheduled part of that event. That's that's correct. I I was I was not happy to see them cancel. He's you know they're just that talented and uh, offered the rain check and we left it at that. But uh, we've had some news, uh, breaking news, I guess we could say as to the Summer Conference Entertainment this year that is directly related to them, and to this show, in fact. Yeah, I, I first heard the, the Pitzers when they performed with Pops Walker at the conference a few years back, and because of the, I, was, I was so stunned by their performance, I invited them for, for last year. And they, of course, had to cancel, and, and uh, I got a call from Pops, and... Uh, Pops Walker will be returning to the, the conference for the 2010 for our Saturday night performance. He, he listed five reasons, you know, why he why he wanted to, but the main reason was to pay tribute to Keith Pitzer. And excellent, and I I was was very glad to hear that, and I understand he's bringing uh, more West Virginia talent with him. Yes, yes, he he does that. He he's going to bring a young lady from uh, the Panhandle area, Shepherdstown, I think, and 
her name's Kippen Martin, and she's uh, turning a lot of heads in that part of the world. Yeah, I talked a little bit to him about her, and he was was singing her praises, saying she's one of the best and most skilled musicians he's known, and and she she writes symphonies and chorales, and has been commissioned to write for churches. But her secret identity is as a singer-songwriter with a guitar, and apparently she has the pipes to back it up. And she also was friends with Keith and Joan Pitzer, so this is going to be uh, not only some fine music from the two of them, but, as you said, a tribute to Keith and Joan Pitzer. Well, we're, we're excited to see both of them. It's, uh, it's going to be a great show. I, I can't wait. Was there anything you, you'd care to share with us about Keith and Joan from just your experience knowing them? Yeah, I, I met I met Keith and, and Joan when they played with Pops, and uh, I bought every CD they had available after listening to them. I ran to the bookstore and bought one of each, and they're in my collection still. And you know, we at the conference we always end up on the porches discussing one thing or another, and and I I got to talk to Keith about his music and you know where they're from and. He he was real straightforward about his uh, dedication to the the ecology of the planet, and uh, he asked me how I stood on it, and I said, well, you know, I gave him the spiel as president of West Virginia Writers, we have to maintain a non-political stand, and he said, no, he said, I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about you, and he said, we all have to make a decision about maintaining the safety of our environment, and you know, he we were only together a little while, and he made quite a dent in uh, in my thoughts on the ecology and standing up and he uh, he changed a lot of lives glad to met him he was definitely a definitely a fellow who walked the walk yeah proud to know him well terry thank thank you so much for joining us today and giving us this good news that we can add here at the end always always good to visit In corresponding with Joan regarding this podcast, she not only gave us permission to use some of their music for the show, but also let me know about a couple of nice coincidences. When I told her that we planned to air this podcast on January 15th, she noted that this was good timing, as Keith's 56th birthday would have been January 14th. Furthermore, the two of them would have celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary January 24th. And even more special... As I record these words on Keith's birthday, January 14th, Joan just announced this morning that a new grandson has been born into their family. Isaac Allen Pitzer was born at 9.36 a.m., weighing in at 9 pounds 3 ounces, today, January 14th. As we sign off, I'd like to play one last piece of Keith and Joan's music. Before I play it, though, I'd like to read a portion of Pop's letter from December 22nd regarding Keith Pitzer's passing that relates directly to this song. Pops wrote, While driving today, taking care of some Christmas errands, Bobby and I were amazed by the amount of snow still on the ground from this past weekend's blizzard. Bobby mentioned that it reminded her of Keith's instrumental Loudoun County Snow. He wrote the song some years ago while at Drew McKnight's place. They were snowed in that weekend and hadn't much else to do except play music. Apparently, the snow brought out something deep within Keith's soul. If you've ever heard him and Joan play it, you'll understand. Quite simply, it's a masterpiece of picking. How strange and perhaps fitting that he passed away while so many of us were snowed in again. And just as Pops himself told me when requesting that I include this song, listening to it, you can just see Keith sitting there, and it's beginning to snow. And as it snows harder, he plays harder. From Keith and Joan's album Gathering Stones, 
This is Loudoun County Snow.